Today's episode of the Rough Drafts podcast is brought to you by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esports betting site. Their esports book covers all of your favorite titles, including League of Legends. Bet for free with Unicorns, which you can use to enter raffles for gaming prizes, and even earn Unicorns just by playing your favorite games. Some regions can even place real money bets. And while you're there, be sure to check out the esports news page where you can read great articles from their writing staff, including me, your host, Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. It's time to put your esports expertise to the test. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the Redshirt King Manifesto. That's right. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. The World Championship quarterfinals are upon us. We are in the bracket stage. The groups have been settled. The final games of that side of things have come to a close. This means that Taiwan, we can say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed your stay, AHQ taking their one win over SK Telecom. That's got to be enough to keep them going for a while. Of course, we also say goodbye to Turkey and Vietnam, though I'm not sure that we necessarily expected those teams to get out. Gigabyte Marines certainly made it a lot closer than we thought it was going to be. And of course, now we're left with eight teams remaining. And while I would love to go back and look over every single game from each group stage. I think that in order to give you guys the best content possible, I'm gonna to try to keep the group wrap-ups down to a few minutes for each one, and then we're gonna get into the meat and potatoes of this, which is the quarterfinals podcast. So let's get straight into it. Let's talk about group A. So I did already mention that AHQ was able to sneak that upset victory over SK Telecom, but of course, that's not the big story of the day, is it? You know, HQ beating the Koreans, maintaining that reputation of Taiwan being the Korean killers, and then falling off in the next two games and looking absolutely atrocious in them. Well, that's just HQ being HQ. No, the interesting narrative that I think pervaded all of these games was how much could Edward Gaming close the gap? And if you're a Cloud9 fan, you watch this very differently from, I think, the rest of the esports world. Because if you're a Cloud9 fan, this was the, oh my god, do we hold on to this spot? Because what seemed so clearly wrapped up after week one was now being held in doubt. The AHQ win meant that they'd showed a potential that you hadn't seen before, and of course... Cloud9 played HQ in the last game of their night, so there was no way for them to know, like, oh yeah, HQ's totally, you know, we've taken care of that. They had to do it themselves at the very end in a do-or-die moment. And EDG, because they were playing so well, they crushed Cloud9. They crushed HQ. You had this moment where you, you were, had to wonder, like, is this the time in which we see... SKT fall, EDG gets to 3-3, three and three, 
And now we have this tiebreaker. And could Cloud9 have kept up with that? And to be honest, as if you're not a Cloud9 fan, you were probably hoping that that was indeed how this was going to play out because EDG looked better in week two than Cloud9 has if you take both weeks into account. Especially since week two is all done on a single day, you have to take all of this stuff into account and understand that there is a different set of skills that are being challenged here. And to be a world championship caliber team, you've got to be able to handle both. EDG could not put it together in week one. And those three losses were absolutely deserved. Scout was far too egotistical and really got punished in a way that I think held the rest of the team around him back. But man, when that EDG team is good, they look so good. The decisiveness, especially from iBoy, was something I was not expecting to really come to the forefront. And, you know, there are going to be some Cloud9 fans who say, but hey, look, it's not like we did poorly. And no, it's absolutely true. You guys had a really nice win over AHQ, as we said when I uh, interviewed Matt as part of our State of NA podcast, which if you haven't checked out yet, you absolutely should. Um, Cloud9 won the games they needed to win. And that's enough. You know, it, it says a lot about Cloud9 that in that high pressure moment, they stepped up and were able to grab those victories where they can find them. That is a testament to their skill set. And the consistency, I think, from week one to week two was clearly stronger with Cloud9 because there was no consistency with EDG in week one. So am I disappointed as an esports fan that EDG wasn't able to come together and put together that full two weeks of games that I think they're capable of? Well, of course. I think that when you see the way that they were just so dominant in their wins over AHQ and Cloud9 in Week 2, you have to wonder what this team could have been. But I know what Cloud9 is. I, I feel comfortable saying that this is a team that earned their top eight spot and, and maybe in another group, you know, maybe in a less tilting environment after that loss that EDG had against SK Telecom, which really, I think, was the defining breaking point of that first week. Maybe things would be different, but as they are now, Cloud9 was the better, more consistent team, even if they didn't necessarily show the huge peak that we saw from EDG at their best. So that was Group A, and... You know, I guess we should just move on to, to Group B. Let's keep this momentum going here. I was so sad watching Group B. I don't know what I expected. I think that, you know, heading into week one, I told myself, this is Immortals. I'm a fan. Good things never happen to teams I'm a fan of. I know better than to get my hopes up. And I also knew in the back of my head that, we were a team with a whole bunch of rookies and young guys, especially guys who have shown some nerves issues on the big stage before. This can be a huge concern. And I absolutely was terrified when we went into this initial group stage that those issues were going to come back to haunt us. And of course, they absolutely did. But given how in week one, I felt all of those issues came up, and Immortals handled them so well, 
I made the assumption that week two was going to be more of the same, that this was going to be, oh, yes, this is the moment in which we get to see immortals take this step up. They are going to get out of this group. They are going to show that they have this this understanding of the early game that makes them so dangerous compared to even other North American teams and that the star power there is, is going to be enough to get them through. And, I mean, it, it just all fell apart. And I, I don't think that I'm... <laughs> this isn't news. I, I think it's pretty clear when you lose four games and four chances that things have gone horribly wrong. I, I know a lot of the fingers are going to be pointed at Cody's son, and certainly his moments where he screwed up were the most pronounced. I think they were the most clearly visible. But I think you're going to have to take a hard look at Poe Belcher's performance in particular. I felt like he's a guy, as a veteran leader, we would expect to step up in that moment where the rest of the team is reeling, and he just wasn't there. And that's huge. That's that's something that just tears away at your ceiling as a team. And I really feel like that side of things fell apart. And it's unfortunate, but that's... That's something that when you're in the offseason and you're looking at how you can improve things, that's something you're going to have to look at. And you're also going to have to look at how do you get Ole and Cody's son comfortable? Because we have this fallacy, I think, in which we say that, oh, well, once they've been there before, they get it. But Immortals had played in the finals against TSM and they showed the same nerves issues that they showed in week one of Worlds and that got worse in week two of Worlds. And maybe it's just... You know, as you ratchet up the pressure as individual games get more important, that's when we start getting to this point where their performances can fall apart. But I, I just, I, I don't necessarily agree with that theory. I, I think that ultimately there are personality types that thrive in big moments, that seek them out, uh, and there are personality types that freeze and that are so desperate to make a play that they overstep their grounds. And I think that that's what happened with Cody Sun and Ole. And I think it's what's going to continue to happen if this coaching staff doesn't take a long look at how to uh, how to directly deal with that, how to get them from a psychological perspective in a more comfortable place. And of course, I'm focusing on Immortals when really everyone wishes I was focusing on the Gigabyte Marines right now because they were by far the more fun team, and they are a very fun team. I, I loved seeing their very interesting strategy against Immortals as much as I hate losing to it. Um, I thought that they clearly showed uh, an understanding with that Urgot top that they're able to do interesting things to catch their opponent off guard and... and Certainly, they've shown in games like their, their first Longitude match where they tried all these weird lane swaps that they can really take their opponent out of their comfort zone no matter how good their opponent is. And, and their game against Longju was surprisingly close. I, and, and by that, I mean they were ahead by 11,000 gold at one point, which against a Korean team means that you're close, apparently, because this is the second time now in two weeks that we've seen a Korean team down 11,000 gold and making this massive outplay in a team fight to come back. So that's just the world we live in. Welcome to League of Legends when all hail our Korean overlords. But look, the Gigabyte Marines did everything you could possibly ask them to do at this tournament. I think that 
They showed that they are a strong team in their own right, that you can't just label them as a wild card team. And certainly that's something where I hope moving forward, we take teams like this into account and remind ourselves that even teams from these minor regions that don't necessarily have a ton of talent around them, sometimes this perfect storm can hit, much like Albus Knox Luna in 2016. We've now seen it enough that I hope that people understand that things like the play-ins are really valuable in helping us identify these teams and giving them an opportunity to prove that on the world stage and, and say what you will about you know them not being able to get out of groups and, and, and the group not particularly being strong compared to some of the other groups that we saw in this tournament, but I don't think anyone would say that the Gigabyte Marines didn't deserve to be on that stage. So I, I wish them the best of luck. Obviously, Optimus is now gone. That's a problem. I think historically we have found that uh, when teams like that lose a significant star player, it's very hard for them to come up with somebody new to fill that gap. So we'll see how that goes. Let's move on to Group C because I think that this is a, a group that most of what I want to say I already said last week. This was a group that doubled down on the results that we had seen from week one. Fenerbahce was still Fenerbahce, still can't get a win, came close in one of their three games, but then ultimately threw because they don't have an understanding of how to play together as a team-fighting unit when it matters most in that late-game stage. That's all according to plan. We, we've seen this before. We will likely see it again uh, from a team like Fenerbahce. That's what a happy-to-be-here wildcard team looks like. Uh, G2 Esports, I give them all the credit in the world. I thought their game against Royal was incredibly impressive. I, I thought that they did a great job in securing that win. I, I think that's really all you can ask of a, of a team in that spot is that they they can come together and, and find a way to, to counter a lot of what we were seeing. And, and, and it was really great to see because they were beating Royal at their own game. They were the ones that took those early game advantages. They were the ones that looked to snowball these early towers and just push this tempo advantage. It was such a complete game, uh, particularly from Perks and Sven. Um, Expect obviously had some great moments as well. And, and seeing them all play together as a unit, I think it was, it was a great send-off for this team. Because this is the end of an era. Perks has talked about this. Expect has mentioned that he's not necessarily going to be staying around in the West after this. So I, I think that clearly this is the end of an era. And that was as good a game as any to end it on. I know that technically the Venerbahce game was their last game. And that's very nice for sentimental reasons because the Yasuo pick comes in. And apparently that was something that Mithy did for Perks without asking because he knew Perks wanted to play it. And it was their last game, so let's do the thing. And I'm not crying, you're crying. Um, and, and But, you know, at the end of the day, they needed to get past Samsung. And that was always going to be a very tough ask. This is a very difficult group. This was the Samsung team that desperately needed the wins because they were struggling very much with Royal. And unfortunately, while... G2 did a very good job of getting that early game snowball going against Royal. Samsung, which is just a little bit more methodical in their defense, a little bit easier 
at, at closing things out and really gaining every little advantage, squeezing the life out of this G2 roster. And, and you know, at the end of the day, I think that G2 has a lot to be proud of. I think there are a lot of question marks, obviously, with this team now that we're heading into this offseason. Where are they going to be in North America? Are they going to be in Europe? Are they, you know, what players, if they do go to North America, are they going to take with them? Or what players stick around with this team regardless of what region they're in? We've got a lot of questions right now and not a lot of answers. And I think that that makes it for a very fascinating team. It did feel very end of an era at the end of that game against Fenerbahce. I'm... You know, we haven't seen a team win four consecutive LCS championships in either North America or Europe before G2 did it. And while certainly there were some hiccups along the way, the first Worlds, the first MSI did not go according to plan, I think this team ultimately accomplished a level of dominance that is very rarely seen in professional League of Legends play. And they should be very proud of what they accomplished. I think this is a team that ultimately did everything you could ask of them at this event and did everything you could ask of them in regional play and created a dynasty out of nowhere, essentially, because they were a new team in 2016. We don't see that very often. We were much more likely to see a team like Immortals have to get close and then fail miserably in the playoffs for like two or three splits before finally getting up there. Or you have to be an amalgamation of all of these superstars like an origin and then they fell apart as well, right? Uh, for G2 to do it as sustainably as they have for four straight splits, two full years of G2 dominance, that is a hell of an accomplishment. And my hat goes off to all of those players and Ocelot and everyone who runs that team for, for putting it all together because it, they should be proud of it, it you know, regardless of how this tournament went. And I hope that people in Europe realize that. I hope that the European fans are, are acknowledging this and giving them their dues because while, of course, people would like to see their own team win, and it's unfortunate when you see the same teams winning all the time if you're not a fan of that team, but you got to respect the greats, and this was a truly great team. Let's get into Group D, and I'm going to go really quickly with this one because I already talked about TSM for 40 minutes on the NA State of, State of the NA podcast that uh, Matt Galbraith and I did a couple days back. So I will refer you to that if you want an in-depth look, a truly in-depth look at Team Solo Mid. That's the best place to get it. I don't want to repeat myself other than to say... This is a team that has failed to establish an identity of their own and has built their reputation by smoothing off the edges of players that gave them their, their niche, their own personality, to fit this amalgamous just mold of... TSM, whatever that means. You know, imagine like the black, ominous monolith of a team that just has no room for the kind of creativity, the identity, the ingenuity that you would expect. Just really talented and getting by in their own region through that talent. 
um, not pushing themselves forward in a way that allows them to keep up with other regions that are being forced to come up with those new ways to attack the most talented teams and keep themselves alive. And you know what? All the criticism I say about Team Solo Mid, you throw that right at Flash Wolves. Absolutely throw that at Flash Wolves. And I know we have lesser expectations of them because they're in Taiwan and outside of me, a lot of people don't seem to care about Taiwan. Um, you know, there was a great comment by, I, I believe it was uh, Zender Torres Gumiho on Twitter of how difficult it is to write about the failings of the LMS, knowing that things are probably not going to get better. And that is unfortunately where I stand when I watch Flash Wolves and I watch AHQ. They need to make replacements, but who knows where those next guys are going to be because there aren't any teams that do a very good job of providing the same level of infrastructure as those two have. There isn't this consistency in their quality of opponent. They, in many ways, have the same flaws of a lot of these minor regions, except with a player base and an infrastructure at the very top that exceeds what you would expect in those regards. So they're not, they're not a minor region in terms of what we should be seeing from them, but they very much are in terms of the quality of team that they're putting out there because the gap between the best and the worst is where it stands right now. I, I don't know how to fix it unless Riot really wants to fix it. I, I think it's become clear that Garena has invested everything that they have to invest in that particular side of things. I, I know that they're an easy punching bag and they do a lot of shady stuff um, in different games, different aspects of the company. So I, I get people who are looking to blame them. However, I really do feel like ultimately Riot's the one who has to give them the funding that they need to do the things they need to do. And so far that hasn't happened and that's how we've ended up here. And that's the group stage. That's everything that you need to know about the teams that have been eliminated. Let's get into the teams that are still playing. Let's get in the meat of this podcast. And, and we're going to start, of course, with Samsung Galaxy versus Longju Gaming. That's right, a Korean clash in the quarterfinals. The second time that's happened in history. First one was, of course, KT Rolster uh, when they went up against the Koo Tigers in 2015. And I think historically, it, it, Korean matches versus Korean matches have always been exciting to see in best of fives. Of course, this is when the LCK supremacists say, well, you know, you could have this all the time if you watched a lone league. It's called the LCK. And yes, I understand. And guess what? I do watch the playoffs of the LCK, and I enjoy those as well. But it's a little bit different on the world championship stage. I, I think that something that we underrate when we look at the, you know, when we call worlds LCK autumn, we forget that the patch is frozen throughout all of this time. You know, this is now two weeks of games, really three if you want to go back to the play-ins, that we've seen all of these different compositions being tried out. We've seen shifts in the ebb and flow of what teams are looking for and what teams are prioritizing. And we're only going to see little shifts from here. And those little moments can be surprising and turn a series in a way that 
you wouldn't expect because we think that things are solved, right? We've seen so many games, obviously things are solved. And then you look at good old Gorilla and he's just laughing because he's got this wonderful misfortune support pick last year. And, and it's moments like that that really show the next level of thinking that separates a great team from a world championship caliber team. And ultimately, that's the kind of thing you can only get when you have a patch freeze for this long because you have so many different games from so many different regions all coming together in one mesh of a thing and sorting all that out takes time that most of the time these teams just don't have. So obviously, I think that the ingenuity of, of these teams is going to be a factor here. And of course, I'm going to give that advantage to Longju because they do have Gorilla on this team. And Gorilla has just been such a brilliant strategic mind over the course of his career. I think it's fair to say that the Ku slash Rocks Tigers would not have been nearly the team that they were had it not been for his leadership, for his shot calling, and for his ingenuity. And if I were a betting man, which I absolutely am, you heard the ad read at the beginning of this show, folks, I would say that he's going to have at least one or two more picks coming up over the course of this bracket stage that surprised some people. I think he's going to do something. I don't know where that's going to be. I'm not even sure it's going to be in his lane, but I, I do think that ultimately there, he's going to help find some little interaction that just takes his teammates to the next level, and, and I, have, I have trust in him for that. So outside of that, though, let's assume that Longju wants to hold on to these pocket picks as much as they can because this is a team that believes they're going to get to the finals. Who do I think has the advantage here? Well, Samsung has a very clear problem that you have to overcome if you're going to place your, your money on a Samsung victory here. And, and that problem is an absolute lack of early game pressure. It, this is not to say that they have the worst early game of the event. Far from it. I think they're just about average. They actually have the same early game rating as the Flash Wolves, funnily enough. But very few teams underneath them are still around in this tournament. We have seen, especially in week two, the game's paces have just accelerated as, as teams have said, well, you know, we could pick these late scaling comps or we could pick compositions that allow us to potentially snowball those resources earlier in the game so we don't even have to worry about what happens if, if you know, the, if we get to those late game scaling team fighting moments. And that is a problem for Samsung because late game team fighting is their strength. They're very good at playing this defensive mold and making sure that they rotate such that the towers aren't going down and they wait to scale up so they can have that big fight near the Baron pit. And, and certainly all of that is still there. I think that Ambition is a great shot caller and decision maker to prevent any early game catastrophes. You'd be surprised when you look back at the first 15 minutes of each of the games they played. Very few of them, they actually were allowing significant numbers of kills or towers. It was really about the 20 minute mark when teams are transitioning from the early game into a full on mid game 
that they were having their biggest flaws. They just weren't doing anything to help themselves in the early game. But I, this is when you just have to ask the question of what do you do against a team in Longju that has some of the best lanes in this tournament by far? I, I, you know, because Cuve is a great player. I like Cuve a lot. I think he's one of the best, you know, team fight, peeling top laners. I think he's got a very good sense of when to engage in team fights. But I don't like him into Khan as an individual laning matchup. I don't think that Cuve is a mechanically talented top laner to the extent that he can outplay someone like a Khan in a 1v1. That's not really his style. He's much more of a team player. I uh, Ambition. Doesn't matter what you put him on, he's not doing anything for the first 20 minutes of the game. Uh, I, I really have not seen a Kha'Zix gank as rarely as Ambition's uh, Kha'Zix does. And I know people are going to say, well, there's a reason for that, right? Instead of doing those kinds of ganks, instead of trying to get kills to get those early advantages, he's going for these crazy jungle invades, right? Look at their jungle rate. It's 53.5%, second highest jungle control rate at the tournament so far. That's worth something, right? And you know what? It is worth something. It absolutely is. Unless you're playing a team like Longju in which getting those jungle resources isn't really going to make or break their team because Cuz is the least important member of their five and... You're not getting any any opportunities to hold your opponents back in the laning phase if you're focused purely on squeezing out those neutral resources through the jungle. So I consider this a concern for them. I consider it a concern that Crown is not someone who I think plays a lot of the more aggressive mid laners that you're going to see as we continue on in this tournament. He's much happier scaling up and playing a control mage that can fight around the 30-minute mark. Unfortunately, Victor is not a thing that is really going to be helpful in this particular meta, but that's where he wants to be. And, and so you're left with a situation in which there's really only one obvious answer, and that would be to put Haru in, because Haru is the mechanical early game jungler that they would be looking for. He does have the understanding of how to really narrow in on these ganks and really get momentum going. And the problem with that is that their shot calling is so much worse when Haru is in there. Ambition is so much better at understanding what each of his laners needs and making sure that he's providing that support rather than just getting this nice KDA. So... What are you left with? Well, you're hoping that Ruler and Core JJ turn a big team fight for you in the mid to late game. And certainly Ruler's been capable of that. This team did a very good job of setting him up for those kinds of plays in the World Championship run last year. There's a reason they finished second in the world and maintained all five players on their starting roster. But he's had some positioning issues here. And that's going to hold him back against a team in... Prey, you know, with Prey and Gorilla and, and all of these intelligent Longju players, they're going to be able to pick them apart. And I, I, I have a hard time 
selling myself on Samsung Galaxy because this defensive let's sit back and ensure that they don't get too much of a lead on us so that we can hold the fight. We hold the line when it matters most. I just don't know if that strategy works in this particular meta as well as what Longju can offer. And what Longju can offer is right so far the most consistent mid laner in the tournament. We can argue best because Faker obviously has had some incredible moments that I think would be hard for anyone to top. But I, I just want to point out the BDD is 22, 4, and 44 over six games, which is absurd. They have a guy in Prey who has been a team fighting monster, more so than Ruler has been so far. Khan has been incredibly aggressive in those early games, getting all the trades that he needs, but not necessarily needing to full-on win the game for this team in the same way that they had him hard-carrying them in their series against SK Telecom in the Korean Finals. When Gorilla is your worst performing player by the kind of statistical margins that we look at, you're in a really great spot. And it is worth noting here that Longju is the only team at this tournament in which every single player on their roster has a positive gold differential at 10 minutes. Yes, even Rascal. That's absurd. That is absolutely ridiculous. And the last thing that Samsung wanted to hear because the last thing they want to do is try to repulse another team who's very good early, who transitions incredibly well into the late, mid to late game with this 52.5% lane efficiency on Longju's side. Super strong at controlling basically every meaningful objective. Wards per minute, they're third highest in, in the league. And, you know, to be fair, Samsung is second right now. And, and that's obviously worth remembering is that Samsung can set up fights when they get the chance to. That will be in play. It's just going to be very difficult to do against a team that has as many weapons as Longju has in their arsenal. So I think this is a 3-1 in Longju's favor. That's my prediction. I locked that in into my article on Unicorn, which should be up uh, on the day uh, of games here on the 18th. I'm not sure exactly when it will come live, but I, I think it's a 3-1. Uh, Unicorn has Longju at 1.36 versus Samsung at 3.00 which I think is fair. I think that there is certainly some value there for Samsung fans if you want to look at, you know, hey, we finished second in the world last split and we last year and we know how to handle ourselves on this big stage and we have shown an ability to adapt over time. All these things are fair and all of them, you know, for plus 200 essentially is pretty solid value. Of course, you can also take them at a plus one and a half handicap at 1.87 which I think is a lot safer. Um, only prop bet I would consider would be the over four and a half maps at plus 192.90 in that decimal system, which I point out because every Korean versus Korean series that we had in 2016, and I believe all but one in 2015, went the full five games. So that's absolutely in play, and I think that people who want to jump on that value, if you're not so convinced that Longju's weapons are, are going to be able to puncture through Samsung's defenses. If you want to look at the sloppiness that I think clearly came across in their game against the Gigabyte Marines, where they never should have fallen that far behind in the first place, uh, and against Immortals, where I feel like they could have been cleaner in that end, like, I think 
290 for five maps seems like a very nice, solid bet to have to me. SK Telecom versus Misfits. Let's go. Let's go. Oh man, I am so hype for this Misfits team. Consider me a, a mark if you want to use the wrestling term. Uh, I think East, uh, Bill Simmons recently called uh, this term the uh, East, the sports mistress. This would be my esports mistress. I'm still very much committed to Rockat. You know, we've had a great relationship for a number of years, and nothing's going to change that. But you know, I just I can't help how I feel when I watch a Misfits game. You know, there's just that warm, fuzzy feeling inside, and I, I can't lie to myself. I can't lie to them. I love this team. I really do. And to me, I think it just starts with they fundamentally understand something that so many teams just never do. And that's that you have to be willing to tear the bad elements of your team down in order to build something worthwhile. And Misfits have done that in spades. This was a 6-17 and 17 in the regular season. They were counted out by just about everybody, but towards the end of that split, they tried to start shifting the goal numbers down. They continued to work on this throughout the playoffs as their early game got a bit stronger. They focused much more on getting leads in that, and now we're at this point in which there is a clear identity, a sustainable identity with this Misfits team, and they're clearly far more comfortable playing together on this stage, and I love it. I love their coaching staff. I don't love the Yasuo pick, but I love everything else. I love everything else about watching this great early game team, fourth in the world right now, 59.8 on that early game rating, and they lead all teams in jungle control percentage at 55.3 because my boy Maxlore, remember when I was on the Maxlore train a year ago? Oh my goodness, he has paid off my faith in spades. I could not be happier to just see this guy come together. I, you know, he's one of those people that I always really liked because he's so good at just doing his job. He's very consistent in terms of going where his teammates need him to go, squeezing out the map where he believes that doing so will give his laners indirect advantages. You know, if you can take that blue buff, well, now your mid laner uh, is in a much stronger place than if you'd allowed your opponent to take it, right? So you can really do a lot to aid in indirect ways as well as direct ways. And I think that his pathing has just become cleaner and crisper and more interesting and just adds this element that makes this team so much more dangerous than they would have been Otherwise, and I will correct myself from earlier because Misfits have also had all five players with a positive goal differential at 10 minutes in this tournament. That is silly. It's silly that this happens once. It's amazing that this happens twice. And it's even more amazing that it's Longju and Misfits. I, mind explosion, just all of those gifts of like the head exploding. Like you pick, pick your favorite. All of them are happening right now. <laughs> I I will say, uh, I, you know, when I was looking on the Discord to see what you guys wanted me to focus on, uh, and you should definitely be in that Discord because then you can throw out questions to me that I will answer on podcast episodes. 
the question came up, well, can you make sure that you explain how every single one of these underdogs can actually come away with a victory? And so I'm going to spell out the misfits strategy. They can steal as much of this as they want from me, although I will say that they probably have come up with all of this themselves because they've got a very strong team of, of analysts. And uh, I'm very happy to say that I was wrong about Daku. Very happy to say that uh, he has turned around my impression of him from a, a coach that I thought cost them in a lot of ways in the uh, spring playoffs to now being a guy that is very good at understanding what his players need uh, as long as that's not Yasuo. But <laughs> I'm not over that. That was almost cost them their world's run. Anyway, Misfits can beat SK Telecom if they go all in on this early game. SK Telecom, of course, they're the reigning champs, two-time defending, three-time throughout their history. They've got the best player in the world in Faker. They've got so many weapons uh, in, in Bang, who is starting to really pick up, uh, especially now that he's playing that Twitch more often, which he is w one of the best in the world at that, I think, undoubtedly. Uh, Hooney's been a little bit more consistent. Uh, Peanut has been all right, um, I think that honestly the jungle position has been the weakest part for SK Telecom, and this is where, if you're misfits, start by attacking that. Start by attacking what Peanut and Blank have been doing in, in their jungle. It's been very inconsistent. It's been very slow, you know, kind of prioritizing some power farming rather than trying to get those early ganks going. So this is where Maxlore can make very intelligent decisions that might throw... This SK Telecom off, you know, do do some weird things with your pathing, you know, go up for, for ganks at weird moments or at levels before you would expect someone to be there. You know, the one that jumps out in my head is one where he went to gank the top lane and I forget which team this was against, but he went away from the bush while he knew that the opponent was going to be searching in it and then moved back in at the perfect time to get a great cutoff gank in the top lane. It was a second gank because he had just picked on that same lane previously. I believe it was against Team Solo Mid because that was a team that got ganked in the top lane super hard in basically every game that was played <laughs> over the course of the uh, week two of the group stage. So I, I think that he's certainly capable of throwing people off and throwing SK Telecom off early is a really good plan because SK Telecom has not been very good at securing early objectives. Right now, their early game rating is a 44.0. That is the worst among teams that are still at this event. It is ridiculous how poor they have been. And First Blood, 33%. First Tower, 33%. First Three Towers, 33%. 0% of Heralds. 50% of first dragons, only 53% of dragons as a whole, less than 50% of barons. I mean, this has been a complete and utter failing on their part. And oh, by the way, 47.7% jungle control. So if you don't believe that Maxlore could absolutely outsmart what Peanut and Blank have been doing in that early game, Man, I, I think you'd be making a mistake because Maxler certainly has the capability of doing it. So if you can get these early leads and you can 
start getting those early ganks going, then you have to immediately seize upon every single moment you can to snatch those kills. You've got to be picking, like, on a on a dime. You, you see a moment, and you have to seize it, and you cannot second-guess yourself. You've got to play like a royal never-give-up plays, where you're willing to take fights regardless of whether you think they are the safest of all plays. You can't play safe. You can't wait to scale against SK Telecom and pick the perfect moment. I, I very often criticize teams for, for taking good fights when they are potentially wasting an opportunity to have a great fight, but you're not going to get great fights against uh, SK Telecom very often. So you have to be active in pursuing those moments when they do arise. And that's going to be mostly, I think you've got to do it through Hansama because you can throw a lot of energy at Faker if you want, have fun with that. Faker's going to basically find an ability to hold his own no matter what you do. He's very good, not necessarily at avoiding the kills. And if you just want to kill, that's something you can certainly grab. But usually you want to get an objective on top of that. And he's so good at farming and he's so good at finding resources across the rest of the map to even up those plays that I think you're better off trying to keep Bang down, trying to get Hansama going because he has been the centerpiece of your offense in that mid to late game and just aim for 30-minute games. You've got to close it out before SK Telecom gets to do SK Telecom things. That's how you win. And I think that they can do it once. I think they can absolutely steal a win on SK Telecom. I do not think this is a 3-0, but I think it's really hard to do that three times against the best team in the world. It's a terrible draw for Misfits, and to give them credit where it is due, I think that they have done a very good job on social media, kind of joking around about like, oh yeah, this is the team we have to play, ha ha ha, we're all so screwed. And that's good, it means they're perfectly in the right mindset for this, they seem to have a very good uh, kind of mentality towards all of this. But Misfits don't team fight as cleanly as SK Telecom do. I don't feel like I need to say it, but I, I guess I should say it out loud. Yes, SK Telecom is a cleaner, crisper, more focused mid to late game team fighting squad. They are so good at picking apart the one inch out of position that you might be on your computer screen. And if you don't believe that, go ask EDG how that game felt in week one, and every game inevitably feels with this SK Telecom roster because ultimately they have the best player on the Rift at any given moment, and they have this veteran shot-calling system, this understanding of the game on such a deep level uh, on the Rift and, of course, off the Rift because as good as Daku has been recently, pick and man is not necessarily his forte, and Koma is the greatest coach of all time as of this moment. So lots of mismatches on that end. I think that this is a 3-1 for SK Telecom. Like I said, I do believe the Misfits get one, and that means that I have more faith in them than uh, Unicorn does to a pretty large extent because they have SK Telecom 1.04 favorites over Misfits at 9.50. That is absurdly high. 
And I don't know that I would take Misfits at 9.50. As much as I wish I could say I believed in, in this team enough to, to give them that faith, it's you got to beat SK Telecom three times. And they get to adjust after each game in which you grab a win off of them. That is just so tough. But if you are looking for value for Misfits, if you think that they're better than even I think, if you have more confident than you think they can grab at least two WAP wins, uh, you can get 4.00 for Misfits plus one and a half. That is some value there. Because I do think the Misfits wins two maps more often than they get 3 would Because I don't think this SK Telecom team is very good at reading out the early game. And I haven't seen any adaptation between week one and week two that tells me that they understand how to better handle this as we head forward into the bracket stage here. Uh, I also think if you want to just go super safe and be like me and just make sure that you get some money back on this series, uh, plus two and a half for Misfits is 1.80. You literally only need to have them win one map to get there. And I think that almost certainly that's going to be the case. So I, I definitely cannot wait for this series. I cannot wait to see how Misfits holds up in the spot and how much damage they're able to do. But hail to the kings. That's just where all of this ends up at the end of the day. Let's move on to the third quarterfinals series this week. That is Royal Never Give Up versus Fnatic. So let's get Fnatic out of the way early. I don't get you. I don't understand, Fnatic. Are you good? Are you not good? Are you going to continue to be good? Or is this something that I should just kind of just roll with the punches as you figure yourselves out because you don't really know either. It's so weird to see a team make a run on like this. I, I don't know that there is another example that I can point to in world's history where we see a team start as poorly as they did and then come back and end up escaping the group. In fact, I, can, I know for a fact we've never had a team come from 03 to escape a group, let alone 04. But, I mean, that's what they did. And, you know, whether they were necessarily the best team on the Rift and in all of those games is up for debate. I think that in their game against Immortals, uh, it could have easily gone either way. I, I think that Immortals made as many, if not more, mistakes uh, than... Fanatic necessarily made uh, big plays of, of their own. I, I think specifically the kind of barren throw uh, at the for at twenty one thirty from Immortals was an egregious error. I, I think that they clearly stopped the Gigabyte Marines, uh, and, and of course in the tiebreaker games they were much more confident, much more consistent, and I think across the board we saw a team that looked like they belonged to be there. And that's nice to see. I don't know where that was the first week or against in their first map against Longju even, but I guess better late than never? I, I don't know. I have a hard time getting hype about this team, mostly because you need very particular elements to make this team work. And the first is that Soaz has to feel comfortable. And Soaz had a couple great games in that week, too. And yet, he is still at a 1.9 KDA. 
because his bad games have been so bad. Just disastrously bad. And of course, so as apologists will say, well, he's been playing all these defensive champions, while everyone else will note, well, so have all these other top laners, and they're doing fine. It's rough. And it's rough because I think Broxa is at this point where he doesn't know where to go. You know, you have this bot lane that is by far the most consistent lane that you have. I, I think that Jez's is playing all of the you know, the, the Lulu and Janna champions, the way that you need them to be played, I, I, I think that he's making uh, use of the Ardent Sensor champions quite nicely. And Reckless is Reckless and has been doing really well, especially in those team fights. I, I think that some of the passiveness that we usually attribute to him still have some moments. I think his damage per minute numbers are astoundingly low given the average game time that Fnatic has. It really shouldn't be that hard for him to put out more damage given the gold that's being sent his way, but, you know, whatever. He's consistent. He doesn't lose you fights. He uh, doesn't have stupid deaths. And so I understand why Broxa would want to throw some resources down there. I also understand why I'd want to throw him down to, to Caps, who right now um, is, the, is a, a mid laner that I, I think definitely needs resources. Um, I love seeing things like Malzahar out of him because it is a reminder that he is a creative player and that Fnatic is at their best a team that likes to innovate upon itself and, and throw opponents off guard with it. You know, we, we talk a lot about the things that have remained problems for Fnatic, how they always like to center their play around one lane at a time and their moves are very telegraphed and how... They really don't seem to be able to get all of their pieces working together in unison at the right moment that in one fell swoop. But, you know, I, I think that we should also give them credit for the consistency in terms of interesting champion picks and, and in drafts that have all been laid out to the strengths of their players. I do think that there is something to be said about that, and I do think that they deserve some credit for how they've played out uh, the mid games recently. You know that they've managed to get a whole bunch of of resources in the jungle. They're surprisingly high on that jungle control chart. You know, I I think their early game rating is not great, but given how bad it was the first week, it's Amazing that their gold differential at 15 minutes is somehow positive right now. It should be a lot worse. This team clearly took steps forward. Or they took advantage of some teams that were imploding in on themselves. And this is a rub when it comes to Fnatic. Do you believe that the leap between week one and week two says more about them or more about the teams that they were playing against? And I don't feel like either one of those answers is wrong. I, I think that... It's a little column A and a little column B. My concern is that it feels a lot more like column B, where, okay, so Fnatic, you've gone 2-1 and one now against a Vietnamese team that always relied on weird picks in order to gain leads and had a mid laner in Optimus who had about five or six different opportunities to land a shockwave that would have sent you guys home packing at Worlds and could not land a single one of them. I, I 
cannot remember being more frustrated by a player in professional game than watching his Oriana shockwaves miss and whiff and whiff and whiff. Mind-boggling. So congratulations. You beat that, and you beat an Immortals team that was so nervous that they looked like they were like small rats having been like caught in a corner and, and just, you know, with, with giant cats hovering over them. Like, they were just so out of their element. And, you know, Fnatic fans can rightfully say, oh, well, that's a testament to our veteran leadership, right? We have experience. We understand what to do on the international stage. We are confident in ourselves and in, in getting these guys going. And guys like Soaz, you know, you always talk about how the, he can be tilted, but yet here he is turning in great performances despite having such a terrible start to this tournament. But it shouldn't have to be this hard. You know, in a group that was clearly very winnable, the fact that Fnatic, the Gigabyte Marines, and Immortals all finished at 2-4, and four, what that tells me is there was not much meaningful difference between these three teams. It just... They were all fine. They, they did what they needed to do to beat each other. None of them could nab a win off of Longju. I'm not sure that if you put any of them in any of the other groups that Fnatic gets out. I, I don't think the Fnatic gets out of Group A if you replace them with, say, AHQ. I, I don't think that Fnatic would have been able to be better than Cloud9 on a consistent basis. I don't think that Fnatic played as well as Misfits did at this tournament, and certainly Misfits proved in their playoffs that they were very happy to take that team on head-to-head. And of course, I don't think that they're better than Samsung Galaxy. I know, bold statement, but that leaves the question, right? If they needed a lot of luck and some implosion from their opponents to have this four, Oh, run at the end of their group stage. Now, what does that leave them when they go up against a team like Royal Never Give Up? And Royal is a team that is incredibly entertaining in a way that makes me rethink my entire understanding of League of Legends. And that sounds like hyperbole. Like, okay, Chase, you're being a little silly now. Like, they're not... There's no way that they are that mind-blowing that you've never seen a team like this before. And certainly I've seen aggressive Chinese teams, but you know what I haven't seen? I haven't seen a team that seems at all points to be both a unbeatable monster, but yet, you know, a, a an inconsistent or, or maybe let's say, uh, unfocused macro team. I, I watch League of Legends with the understanding that the smartest teams tend to win, that teams that are able to outthink their opponents and are able to get more advantages and they're able to do more with the little plays that they have and really capitalize on that. So this is when I tell you that Royal Never Give Up has the second worst early game rating of any team still left of this world championship at 47.4. I know. I too thought their first 15 minutes was better than that, but that's where we are. What about their 
you know, their dragon percent, only 47%, not all that high. Uh, lane efficiency, this is something that all the great teams have, right? All the Korean teams have these amazing lane efficiency stats. This is the main term we use to determine how good a team is at wave management so that they can get neutral objectives after they win those fights. Uh, yeah, they're at 49.2% uh, among the worst I, I believe, actually, looking at this now, they are it is, they are indeed the worst among teams that have made it to this point of the tournament. And you know what? Their jungle control rating at 49.5% is not much better. Only SK Telecom and Team WE are worse at that. So how does this happen? How does a team that doesn't you know, have this amazing laning phase, doesn't prepare their waves properly, isn't getting huge advantages in the jungle, isn't setting themselves up to snowball with these amazing rotations. How are they this good? How am I this terrified of Royal Never Give Up? And the only answer I'm left with is because they're just that talented. Because these players are individually so good at the game that it doesn't matter that every single one of them has a negative gold differential at 10 minutes. It doesn't matter that their gold per minute numbers are all a little bit screwy and, and that none of these, um, you know, the damage ratios are so thoroughly invested into Uzi just as this one monster of a player. And, and to put this in perspective, his damage per minute right now is 744. Uh, that is indeed the fifth highest of this event. It seems like it was more than that, but it honestly, it's just, it's all of these Chinese AD carries. They're all playing that way right now, and it's nuts to see, but he's, I, I think, even among those, I, I think he's provided the most immediate kill pressure when he catches people out. I think Zhao Hu has been by far the most consistent of the Chinese mid laners, 13, 2, and 35 at this event, which is just nuts. Um, very good at mid-game rotations, very good at setting his teammates up and playing things like the Rise to, uh, to get those kind of plays initialized, get those engages the way that they want. You know, Ming is a very solid mechanical support who makes sure that Uzi isn't getting into a whole bunch of trouble, which is exactly what a RNG support needs to be doing. And hell, MLXG, a guy that I have always kind of been obstinate on, you know, very unable to see what other people love in this guy because people who love him really love this guy. And I've Thought he was fine, you know. I, I think I think he's always been good, um, but I, I haven't seen that greatness. I'm starting to see that now because his engages and these mid-game skirmishes are just delightful, and his ward placement is superb to the point where they're able to set up these fights. Maybe the waves aren't necessarily being set up, but they are giving themselves the visibility such that when they notice that anyone is remotely out of position. They just pounce on it. And then suddenly the fight's happening. And then suddenly the fight is over because Royal are so good at picking their targets and isolating them down and just rapid fire gunning these people out. And it's really fun to watch. 
I, I don't know whether it's going to be enough to overcome some of the Korean juggernauts, but they don't have to worry about that this week. This week, they just have to play Fnatic. So can Fnatic win this series? They can. I don't think any series is so 100% in one direction that it's impossible. I think that Caps has the potential to pull out weird picks that, that can really add this uh, either like a, a roaming potential in something like an Aurelian Soul or Lockdown in Malzahar that add these different elements to their team fighting abilities. I think Reckless is an amazing AD carry and is not going to let Uzi just roll all over him. And certainly, you know, if, if Soaz wants to step up, you know, maybe he can outduel a guy like Let Me. It's just that Fnatic to do this would need to be playing at a consistency that we have not seen from them basically ever. It's certainly not this year. Maybe like the 2015 Fnatic, like in that summer season where they went undefeated. But that was a very different team with a very different roster. I just, I don't see it in this matchup. I actually, I'm predicting this to be a 3-0 for Royal. I, I think the Fnatic was very lucky to be going up against teams that were imploding at the right time and, and, and taking advantage of that. And that is indeed a skill and they deserve to be here, but they deserve to be exactly here. I think Royal absolutely deserves to be a semifinalist. And I think depending on how this goes and depending on how SKT looks, Royal could be a finalist. We could finally have another China versus Korea finals. Dare I dream? Do I dare disturb our overlords and speak such heresy? Well, I guess I just did. Um, but Unicorn agrees with me, for the record. They have Royal at 1.15 uh, as, as favorites against Fnatic at 5.00. That feels fair. I think any more than that, and I'd start squinting at that fanatic line and being like, well, maybe Royal, you know, Chinese teams don't typically do very well in best of fives. We've seen that they struggle to make adaptations in those moments. Certainly in MSI, that was something that came back to haunt them. But I think in this particular matchup, it's so thoroughly in their favor. And if you believe like me, that Royal is absolutely going to come out and start gaining some substantial victories, uh, 2.25 for Royal Never Give Up at minus two and a half handicap. That would be the 3-0. Uh, that would, you know, I, I think that that's worth throwing a couple dollars on. I think that that's absolutely in play because I think that Fnatic is one of those teams that if they lose one game early enough, badly enough, maybe the whole rest of it kind of implodes in on itself. Uh, you look at the rest of the bets. If you if you think the Fnatic's better than I think they are, uh, Fnatic plus one and a half at 3.20 is a solid amount of value. Uh, that allows you to, you know, get that 3-2 if you think that China is going to collapse in this spot, which they certainly have before. It would not be unprecedented. So uh, that is indeed where that matchup ends up. And so that means we're finally at the end of this quarterfinals breakdown. It's time to talk about Cloud9 versus Team WE. So let's get Team WE out, out of the way. Not because I think that they're the less interesting team, but because I, I think 
most of you, you know, this is a mostly American and European audience. Uh, and as, since I am traditionally a European analyst, I, I think that I want to take that extra time to talk about North America and really go a deep dive into it. Um, so TNWE, I loved what I saw from them in the second week. I think they looked much more consistent than they had in the first week. Uh, Mystic is a god. I just... I, straight up, Mystic is one of the most impressive team fighters I've ever seen. I think his mechanics are, are beautiful. His 873 damage permitted is the highest of anyone at this event, and I didn't know that damage numbers went that high when it comes to damage permitted and over a six-game span. It's... He, he just can take over fights so nicely. And Gia is this brilliant roaming mid laner uh, so good at supporting his side wave so good at you know making sure that you know unlike uh, a royal where you don't really see a lot of of setup for that next play team we actually is pretty good at setting up 50.6 percent uh lane efficiency that puts him about middle of the pack when you look at quarterfinalists but even that little advantage that just gives him so much versatility compared to Royal. Royal basically has one speed. Team WE can slow things down if they need to and get to that mid to late game where they can trust on guys like Condi to step up and be those that strong engage potential. I think the 957's teleports have been rather on point. And of course, Ben uh, at the support position has been all over the place. 89.2% kill uh, participation at this event so far. That's nuts i i don't think uh I, I think it's pretty clear that this team as a whole plays very well together uh this is a team that looks leagues above what we saw when we watched them in the play-in stage i think they've taken a lot of time and energy to really refine their strategies and and find those little moments in which they can grab advantages and i really like this team I think that they are a stronger team than their play-in status would have designated. I think they're a stronger team than, you know, even that 5-1 and one in, in a tough Group D. We're going to look back on those wins against Team Solo Mid and against Misfits and say, whoa, that was a really good group, and WE managed to take those wins in such a decisive fashion in that last week, and doesn't that tell us so much about where this team stands. But enough about Team WE. I think I'm, we've talked about them enough before and I think that their, their strengths as a team are very obvious. There's no hidden variable like, oh yes, this is the secret to Team WE. Like it's, they're exactly what you think they are. They're a really good team fighting team. They peak particularly well in the mid game, which is when Gia's roams can really start acting up. And I think that uh, Mystic is, in particular, a brilliant late-game team fighter. It uh, doesn't necessarily feel the same urgency as someone like an Uzi to win the game right away when that 25- to 30-minute mark rolls around because his positioning, I think, is a little sharper. And I think that Ben uh, is, is so good at, at securing that vision such that they get the engagements on their side, but they also have that setup involved. So, so there's a lot with them that is very evident Cloud9 has been a fascinating team to follow at this event. 
you know, I, I had an article that I planned on releasing last week. It's now going to come out sometime this week. I'm retooling it specifically to address this matchup. Last week, I felt like this was the Contracts and Impact show enabling their already established star players to reach that full potential. And to a certain extent, I still do believe that. I, I do believe that Impact has looked significantly better at this event than he has uh, during the NALCS. His 241 goal differential at 10 minutes is a testament to that. He's winning lane against basically any everybody, and Contracts has done a very good job of making sure those resources are there, and in fact, making sure both solo laners are comfortable in that spot. And while the bot lane's been playing a little bit from behind, uh, Sneaky has stepped up in team fights. I, I think that uh, he's done a considerable amount of damage given how low his gold percentage is compared to most other AD carries at this event. He's very clearly meant to be the number two option, and this team understands that. They're not forcing him to be that star guy just because the rest of the world seems to be playing around their bot lane. You know, they're trusting Jensen to do Jensen things. They're letting Sneaky play the way Sneaky won, and they're letting Impact finally have this greater sense of lane pressure to help give them these these little victories. And of course, Smoothie is still Smoothie. His engage potential when he gets the opportunity to play something like a Rakan is still quite nice. But Contracts, to me, is the make or break. If we are to believe that Cloud9 can beat Team WE, it's going to be because Contracts is creating a tempo of the game that works more in Cloud9's favor than Team WE's favor. And this is where you look at these early game ratings, right? And you'd think you'd see uh, a lot of these, you know, Chinese teams at the top, and certainly Edward Gaming was was high up there, but of teams still remaining, it's Longzhou 1, Misfits 2, WE 3, Cloud9 4. They are very close in that early game pressure, and, and so much of that has come down to Contract's ability to play these super aggressive champions, champions like the Graves, champions like a Kha'Zix, you know, I, I think that they understand that he is not traditionally a tank player. And so they haven't tried to make him one for most of this event. But then they did in a must-win against AHQ. And that, to me, says a lot about this team. Because after a week one in which they looked very good against everybody, even in the loss against SK Telecom, I, I didn't look, it felt like they uh, looked outclassed. Suddenly, they did look like they were a tier below uh, some of their, their greater nemeses in this group. Uh, EDG very dominant in their victory over Cloud9. Felt like they secured that double kill uh, in the bot lane in the eight-minute mark and never really looked back from that particular fight. Uh, game against SK Telecom. It's certainly not without uh, some moments where uh, Cloud9 was able to, to take some towers on the backside. Very good rotations in the uh, er, uh, you know that early to mid-transition period. But once SKT got some momentum under them uh, and, and really Faker got that fizz going a little bit, 
the split push pressure was just way too much for them to muster. And what both of those games taught Cloud9 and, by extension, uh, viewers like uh, like you guys and, and analysts like myself is that Contracts is not the guy that is going to single-handedly turn a series in Cloud9's favor. And of course, this is, this is something that when I say it out loud, it's like, oh, well, isn't that obvious? He's not really intended to be that guy. He's a rookie jungler on the international stage. But so many of their drafts have been run through his skill set, picking these aggressive champions that can then dictate this early pace, get the solo laners going, allow them to start that mid-game snowball. But when push came to shove and they needed that win against AHQ, they put him on the Gragas. They said, we don't trust you to play that way anymore. Let's get Jensen on a carry. Let's get Sneaky on something that does his stuff early. Impact can go on a bruiser champ. Everything peaks in that mid-game. Contracts, you'll do enough in your roams to kind of facilitate what they should be doing just because we picked these great laning matchups for them. And we'll close the game out from there. And, you know, it was a 24-minute victory. It was a clean victory. But WE isn't going to make the mistake that AHQ did in that game of picking three losing lanes. And I don't think the Contracts' as Gragas is going to have nearly the utility that someone like a Akandi has on that champion. I think that his strength is not in these mid to late game engages and in the kind of skirmish potential and, and utility that comes with a champion like a Gragas, like a Rek'Sai, um, you know, and any of those tankier champions that we're seeing consistently come out of the jungle. His whole shtick is let's get this early kill pressure, let's get those early kills for my team, and let's see where that takes us. And ultimately, to me, if they're going to win this series, they have to decide whether they trust him or not. Because if you put him on the Sejuani's and Gragas's of the world, what you are essentially saying is, we don't think that you can do enough to justify the damage that the rest of our composition takes because if contracts doesn't work and they go in on these early games, well, now the solo laners aren't getting as much of an advantage. Now they're not getting as much of a snowball potential. Now you're potentially getting to those mid to late game fights and the whole game is turning on you in the way that it did against EDG and SK Telecom. And I think that WE is just as capable of doing it as EDG is. In fact, maybe even a little bit more so because WE is more comfortable playing in that late game spike than EDG is. This is a really tough matchup for Cloud9. It is also probably the easiest matchup of the one seeds that they could have gotten because at least with Team WE, you don't have the, oh my God, I just died from all of the damage and I don't know why because that you get from someone like a Royal Never Give Up. Um, and you don't get the uh, incredible macro rotational play uh, from someone like a Longju or an SK Telecom. So this is the best case scenario for them. I, I do think it is possible if they can get contracts in this points where it's comfortable or get him comfortable on a new type of champion and really come up with a 
a better way of making those transitioning periods work in their favor and really get those, you know, mid-game tempo advantages rather than necessarily trying to keep up with an early game that WE does very, very well. I think ultimately this is going to be really hard for them. I think that ultimately this is a Team WE victory. I think it is going to be a 3-2 series. I do think that Cloud9 makes it very close. I think that there's enough talent here and enough intelligent veteran leadership on this team to make it for a very close series. I just don't think they ultimately have that next level of play from the positions that would most need to step up uh, in, in contracts and also in Sneaky, who's just not that kind of carry uh, to, to ultimately take this series. And, and Unicorn agrees with me. They have Team WE at 1.28. Uh, Cloud9 at 3.50, I actually think that there's some value on that. Because as much as I just said all those nice things about China, friendly reminder that China has never done well in best of fives uh, in recent years. Uh, they haven't won a quarterfinal series since 2014. So if ever you were going to pick your moment to, to pick an upset this would be a nice one to pick because I think Cloud9 is, is closer in talent level to what, what we're going to see from Team WE than Fnatic is to Royal. Um, if you're looking for some handicap odds that are, that are nice, uh, I like Cloud9 at plus one and a half at, at 2.10 a lot. I think that's a much safer bet than going completely 3.50. I also think that if, if you're willing to give WE a little bit more benefit of the doubt, you think that the uh, inexperience of a guy like Contracts and the inconsistency that someone like uh, Impact has shown over the regular season, if you think that maybe that bounces back and costs them, I think 1.70 for Team WE at minus 1.5 is really nice value as well. And I hope that you found this podcast had some really nice value for you. Uh, if you enjoyed it, uh, you should let me know in that lovely comment section below. Like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, it genuinely does mean the world to me, and I do respond to every single one of them. Of course, you can also interact more directly with me on the Discord, uh, which you can find in the uh, link to in the comments below. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, at RedShirtKing, where we can keep the conversation going there. I really do want to just stress that if you come and join the Discord, we've got a great group of guys there, and we watch games live. That's right, you could be watching the quarterfinals with me on comms over this Discord, picking apart these games step-by-step step, uh, as they unfold live. Um, that's something that I think is a ton of fun, and I think we've built a great group of people there. And if you think that sounds like fun, you should definitely join while you still can. Uh, and in the meantime, you should stay tuned to Unicorn.com, our lovely presenting sponsors, where you can place all of the bets that I recommended today. And of course, are also the site that houses all of my articles, uh, where you'll find a piece that I did uh, for both the Samsung Longju matchup and Cloud9 versus Team WE, which will come out later on this week. So definitely be on the lookout for all of that. Be on the lookout for next week, where I will do a semifinals preview and hopefully one other show. Uh, I don't want to confirm anything on that yet, but I do believe that there's going to be two episodes, much like there were two episodes for this week for you guys. So uh, stay tuned for that, and until next time, goodbye, Internet.